Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 65. I think today's episode is going to appeal to two types of people. Number one, if you're already working in agency account management, but you're super ambitious and you just want to see where your account management skills can take you in your career. Or conversely, you're an agency owner and you want to scale your business. Because today's guest is Danny Turnbull and Danny helps independent agencies grow their business. But he started his career in account management and he moved through the ranks of account management to various agency leadership roles and has ended up consulting with agency business owners. So Dan is going to talk to us about his career path and what helped him on his career path and some revelations about what accelerated his career. But he's also going to share some of the challenges agencies are facing right now, his view on whether working from home works for agencies, and also why he encourages agencies to consider a pod structure business model. So if any of this sounds appealing to you, I think you're going to find this interesting. So let's go over to the introduction to Danny now. So today I'm delighted that Danny Turnbull has joined me. Danny is Managing Consultant at Cactus Growth Consultancy, which Danny is going to tell us a bit more about in a minute. He spent 30 years in agencies and held many roles, including heading up large agencies, both in the UK and Europe. He's also worked as a non-exec director, a consultant, a mentor to a number of agencies. Also, he's a commercially trained economist and he is MBA qualified. Danny, massive warm welcome to you. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks so much for having me on today's podcast. It's an absolute pleasure and a privilege to join you. My father always told me that flattery will get you anywhere. So I just wanted to say I love your podcast and that all of my clients who work with you, using your consultancy services, speak exceptionally highly of you. So it's a real honour to be with you today. So thank you. You're so kind and your flattery has totally worked because I feel like I'm blushing. Thank you, Danny. <laughs> Seriously. Well, I love working with you guys as well. Agency Nomics is such a vibrant community of engaged agency leaders. And I love working with all of them as well. It's been fabulous. So Danny, can we kick off by just telling us a bit about you, maybe a bit about your background and also how you work with agencies for Cactus? Yeah, sure. Well, I'll try not to talk too much because it's a very long story. (laughs) I'm 51 in just over a month and I've been in the agency business, as you say, for a very long time. In fact, since 1992, when I joined an agency called CAS or Commercial Advertising Services as a trainee account exec just after I left uni. I seem to recall that when you and I chatted previously, when we finally met for the first time at the launch of our book last year we chatted about having been in the business a similar amount of time but I realize that's not a very flattering <laughs> thing to remind a lady you've exposed my <laughs> age also- ow <laughs> and it's also a problem casual sexism to refer to you as a lady anyway I'm going to start digging now and as you say I've been in the business for 30 years since the early 90s I, I unfortunately I missed the halcyon days of British advertising when agencies like Sarches literally led the world but it was those days and the American Mad Men era of Birnbach and Co that went before that that inspired me to choose this as a career and to be honest might be a bit sad this but it's all I ever really wanted to do you know some kids grow up wanting to be an astronaut or a fire or a 
cowboy. I only ever wanted to be an ad man. And I think maybe that was because my father was a marketing professor and I just wasn't clever enough to follow him into academia. And I found the whole sort of co-joint analysis, MSC stuff really, really boring. And I was far more attracted to the fast cars, long lunches and photo shoots. And yes, they really were at once, I think, in our sector, weren't they, Jenny? The good old days. You know what? The truth was actually a little less racy as the early 90s was the middle of a big recession. And we had, I think, 32% graduate unemployment. But after a lot of applications and some very good fortune, I was taken on by CAS, an agency in Manchester, which at their peak employed 140 people across advertising, printing, research, PR and, and photographic businesses. The agency was established in 1914, so it was one of the very first agencies in the UK and the first specialist B2B agency. And so I left for the office on my first day. My dad said to me, because I still live with my parents then at that tender young age, he said, make me two promises. The first is never, ever fiddle your expenses, as that's how you'll end up getting fired if somebody wants to get rid of you. And two, he said, please just get out of agencies before you're 30 because they're a young person's business. And so that day at work, my new boss, uh, if he's listening, a chap called Martin Milner, gave me the keys to a, a Lantia Dedra quad cam I don't expect anybody on this um, listening to this to know what that is, but Google it. It's a very quick car. He then took me to the local BP garage in Didsbury and showed me how using your fuel card that you could get 200 marble lights. So I failed on the first promise on day one. <laughs> and the second one, I guess I did too, as so I'm still in it at 50. But my dad was, as you could probably already picked up, was a huge driving force in my life and still is, although he sadly passed away a couple of years ago. And so it played on my mind all the way through my 20s. And I worked up through sort of AE, junior AE, AE, senior account manager, you know, across a couple of agencies, worked in B2C, worked in healthcare. And I decided as I was getting close to 30 that I should really fulfil my promise to my father. And so I did get a job client side working in the financial services business. And then I handed in my notice and my employer persuaded me to change my mind. They explained that they had a, a three or four year plan to sell that agency business and that they wanted me to be part of that. They needed a team in place. They needed an MD. And as part of that negotiation, they agreed to retrain me as an MD. So they paid for me to do an MBA, which was super cool. It was a three-year and £30,000 investment even back then. They put in place a, a non-exec to mentor me and a four-year career plan. And that started out with taking on the CSD role, where I had 19 staff and four mil of revenue. And by the way, I would say for anyone listening that the MBA was the single best thing I ever did. And I strongly recommend anyone listening to consider something similar. I think investing in or getting an employer, even smarter, uh, to invest in your personal development is a really smart move. So I've done IOD certified directorship. I've done Google Square digital leadership. I've done coaching badges. I've done some presentation skills training, which clearly didn't work, as you can probably figure out today, and some negotiation skills training. So we're getting to the end of this elongated story now. So fast forward five years, we sold the business to Gyro, the world's largest B2B agency. That's where Pete and Spencer and I met. Their Blue Halo business was acquired a short while after Cicero. So I think it's fair to say that account management's been really good to me. In fact, I think I've been blessed in my career. But when Gyro took over the business, Cicero previously CAS, I was doing the job of an MD and I was doing that job in the evenings. And in the day I was doing a group account director's job. And when I look back now, I think how stupid it was because I was doing like 10 o'clock most nights, working Sundays, which I still do now because old habits die hard, taking 12 days holiday a year. 
And when I first met with Gary Bryan, who was my boss and Spencer's boss in 2008, he said, you can't do both jobs. And so he says, you've got three months to hire a group of account directors and transition the clients across. And so I think two years after making that promise to my dad, I managed to finally fulfill it. And that was the end of my account handling days. Wow. Uh, so the truth is, you know, whilst I was an MD for 15 years across three different businesses, I always kept an account handling hand in. Like, is that tautological? It's a bit of a tongue twister because you really need to stay close to your clients. And so to finish the story, I'll bring it up to present day. I'd always intended to be a non-exec director, which was a plan that I accelerated under COVID. And when I joined the Cactus and Agencynomics team, quick commercial break here. We are the UK's <laughs> leading agency growth advisory firm. We've worked with thousands of agencies over the last 10 years from a few hundred thousand revenue to 5 million to help them grow. We have commercial break time. We have an Amazon best-selling book called Agency Nomics. We have an online community with 1,500 members, including your good self, of the same name. And I'm partnered with Mark Probert, who I think is a previous guest of yours on this podcast. And together we work across a range of agency clients, working with their founders and their teams to help them to thrive and survive and to grow. And outside of Cactus, I also mentor and coach people in and around our space. And I think what that allows me to do is sort of keep my promise to my dad, but still stay involved in something that I love dearly. That's the long, short story. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And the fact that you always wanted to do it, Danny, as well, like that just sounds ideal. I mean, you've worked client side, you've worked agency side in various roles. And we're going to go back to your account management experience a little bit later because I'm really keen to dive into that and find out what you believe best practices and maybe share some tips with the audience who are predominantly account managers. But before we do that, I wanted to pick up on another point that you said, which I thought was brilliant advice, was the investment you made into yourself in the form of the MBA, which probably was a huge investment for the agency at that time. It was. Recently, I mean, is that partly why you educate agency owners now? And you've got your sort of mini MBA that you're doing with Cactus, aren't you? You're giving the agency owners. I'm sure a lot of what you've learned is infused into that training. Yeah, I think we're all great believers in continuous learning. But the MBA, if you think back, sort of deeply philosophical point, but if you think about the UK, the UK is a bit like the football industry. It thinks that people who are good footballers will make good managers, and that's patently proved to not be the case again and again. And so in the UK, and it's not just distinct of advertising, but we are particularly bad at this. We think that our star performers in the business will make great leaders, and they won't, and they're not properly trained. And if you look in parallel across to Europe, if you look at France, if you look at Germany, or if you look across the Atlantic where the NBA was born, they train their managers and I wasn't joking, when I handed in my notice, it was CAS at the time. Part of that negotiation, it was a hard negotiation, was I don't want to run a 60-person, £6 million business with no training at 30 years old. I need training. And yeah, so I'm a great sponsor of formal training, whatever the vehicle is. And are you able, if you had to boil it down to one of the most key things it gave you, would you be able to think what that was? Yeah, it gave me insomnia. it's a true story because you have to so so let's say how many hours were you working when you were working in agencies it's a a, so yeah like you you know all hours yeah but like you danny i loved it and i thrived in that environment hence the reason i never had children because i never had time but yes lots of hours And, and then so to do an mba to do it properly 
they say that you take you between 12 and 28 hours a week. So if you run the maths on that, so one of the first things that they teach you, the first units is this show my age now, they teach you how to use Excel because Excel was a new thing then, honestly, and PowerPoint. But there's a module on time management and they tell you how to segment your time. And again, I'm using humor to illustrate a point, but they, they teach you how to sleep deprive yourself, you know, and to wake up earlier, go to sleep later. And the thing about the MBA is, trying not to get too sidetracked on this, but MBA is a generalist degree. So it covers everything from strategy to finance to operations health safety so it's not particularly intellectually rigorous but it's relentless so you've got three years of it and it doesn't stop you don't get a break so it teaches you it it did give me insomnia but it also teaches you a work ethic and it it makes you loads and loads of contacts and most of the people doing those things certainly on the one that i did were from big blue chip businesses so United Biscuits and Unilever and P&G. Which are handy contacts to have, no doubt. Yeah, and also I think, you know, one of the other reasons I've worked in agencies all my life is because I'm a big child and because I wanted to just play and, and be involved in exciting, creative things. And so an MBA kind of forces you to grow up as well. Great point. So listen, let's turn our attentions to you working with agency owners because agency owners also tune into this. And I would love to hear from your point of view, what are some of the typical challenges that you see that agency owners are facing, particularly when it comes to growth and expansion of their businesses? Well, so I've worked with or engaged with well over 100 agencies in the last two years, and, and I've been exposed to many, many more through the community. And the growth challenges that agencies face are extremely common and they're also not that difficult to solve. I think one of the biggest issues for indie or independent agencies who are quite early in their growth journeys and they're trying to move up past that glass ceiling of the first million of revenue is that they, the founders, the owners and management team, they're so busy. So they're in the reeds, they're firefighting and they don't get time to step back and see the sort of bigger issues that are not not impossible to spot, but when you're that close to it, you can't see them. And they also don't have the, the time or the energy to address them. And I think allied to that, growing agencies, you know, in the sort of below 1.2, 1.3 million revenue, they don't have the luxury of fully formed leadership teams to support their owners. So they don't have that, you know, an administrative infrastructure that usually comes with size and so talent staff, financial staff, marketing staff, new business staff. And then what that means is that the owners or owners end up doing it all. And, you know, everyone knows the adage about jacks of all trades and what that does. And so the characters, we describe that as the challenge of working in, not on their business. And it's why having a dispassionate, and I don't mean that we don't care, of course, but having a dispassionate external advisor can be really transformative for agency owners. And some of the other themes, I guess, we see that agency structures grow without planning. And I'm sure you see this all the time. Teams grow incrementally and they naturally follow hierarchical patterns because everyone wants that progression and everyone wants to be a boss. But there's huge advantages to flat structures and we encourage all of our clients, and we've been doing this for, for 10 years, and it came from the digital space. It came from Pete and Spencer at Blue Halo. We encourage all of our clients to put pod systems in place because we think that they give huge benefits to agencies in terms of enabling growth. And you know, I think a lot of people think that pods are focused purely on client services teams. It's about how you structure you know, an AD alongside a PM. But 
the way that we model them and the way that we implement them is they impact the entire agency structure. Another thing that we often see is what we call the cobbler's shoes phenomenon in marketing agencies are so busy doing their client work, particularly now when we've been through an intense period of, of overheating in our market, they forget to do their own marketing. So again, as external advisors, we describe ourselves as sort of agency fitness coaches and we hold our clients to account to do that we ask them to allocate a percentage of their revenue to this between three and five percent we ask them to work with specialist providers so branding specialists linkedin specialists and we provide them with all the sort of tools and assets to do that so those are not the only issues but they're some of the most common that we encounter and I think, you know, at a macro level, agencies have always been a barometer for the overall economy. So they're the first into and the first out of recession. And so, you know, agencies got hit really, really hard by the pandemic in early 2020. But I'm delighted to say that nearly all of them, starting with the indie space, were back to pre-COVID trade levels by 2021. And we all know that we've been in, in the middle of a talent crisis for the past what, 12 months, 14 months. So hiring staff to deliver is the current number one challenge for agencies. But I think, you know, that will pass. So I would say to agencies, whilst it's painful, I'd enjoy it and you know, make hay while the sun shines because it's what my father would call high class problem. <laughs> Absolutely. Danny, could we talk a little bit more about the pod structure? So can you first of all explain what you mean by the pod structure? And have you seen that it works better for some types of agencies than others? Yes. So pod structure is, in its sort of most simple, purest sense, is based around separating out account managers or account directors from project managers. And if you think back to, starts digging your toll again, when you and I started out, there was that sequential progression, wasn't there? You would cut your teeth as an exec, a trainee exec, and you would work your way up. And then when you got to be an account director, you would develop strategic skills and presentational skills and commercial skills. Well, the truth is, and this is why it's got its roots in the digital space, that they're totally different skill sets. You can go on that journey like you and I did, but if you think about what agencies are delivering now as opposed to what they were delivering in 1992, they need dedicated specialist project managers. People are properly trained. And so the pod system is about separating out those roles. So you've got an AD or an AM who owns the client book who owns the forecast or the budget for those clients that owns the strategic relationships and that's dead important because what that's designed to do is stop the founder and owner getting sucked back into that and then a project manager to own and drive the work through the agency instead of it being owned by a central operations function or traffic management function so it's all of the ownership sits in the pod and pod can be three people or four people maybe five people usually the third member will be a, a subject matter expert so in you know creative agencies like i've worked for previously that would be a, a brand planner or a creative strategist the second part of that question so the obvious answer to that is it works better in the in the digital space because that's where its roots are and that's where you know the digital pms first came from but then you'd argue that, that any agency is a digital agency nowadays and if, if i think across our client book we've got pr clients we've got events clients we've got app dev clients we've got you know traditional brand and creative clients and all of them have adapted or adopted pod systems successfully but you know don't be under any illusion it's difficult it's difficult to execute and often what we find is that people rush into it 
or they lose their nerve or they don't carry the team with them. And I'm sure you've had more experience than I have of de- dealing with this, which is why you're nodding. <laughs> I am. And this is where my questions are coming from, because I absolutely 100 percent am an advocate for separating the AM and PM role. Because what I've found is the account management team can focus a lot more on adding client value, understanding the commercial objectives of the client company. It tends to facilitate growth of the account so much easier, where I've seen very talented account managers with the hybrid role who are totally bogged down in project management tasks, you know, timelines, cost estimates, resourcing, stuff like that. And before you know it, the day's gone and they just haven't done anything meaningful in terms of growing the account or adding value to the client. So I'm a huge advocate, but there's things that come up and it's probably, I'd, I'd love to chat to you while I've got you, is there's little insights that I glean from account managers in general who are very keen on career progression. They're very keen to get that title from senior account manager to director to senior account director to, you know, the traditional path. We're all hardwired like that, which is why hierarchies are so pervasive. So I'm kind of keen to get your learnings or your help in how you sort of, not convince, but sort of implement the pod structure when actually what you're saying is it will function much better if it's a flat structure. It's flat from an organisational perspective, but I know this sounds like a bit sort of mental gymnastics, but if you think about it, it's a step and repeat growth model. So it says, you know, we will be doomed to continue to repeat our mistakes and the owner gets sucked back in until we can get ownership for that client book and its growth sat within the pod. Once you've done that, the pod can grow and then it becomes sort of responsible for its own destiny. And I know it's a sort of glib answer to you because your question was basically, does it not stifle career progression? And the answer is no. When I was at Jara in Manchester for 15 years, we had sort of pods that were doing like 2 million and that's bigger than most agencies that are in economics. So, you know, if that's not enough career progression for you. It's like running your own business unit, isn't it, effectively? Yeah, if, you think, if you think about Havis in Manchester, they're a brilliant example of that. I shouldn't say the best agency in Manchester, but they're certainly the largest at 400-odd staff, and they're structured with agencies within it because they operate in the pharma space as well. So they've got lots of competes, and so they create Chinese walls around their clients. But each of their agencies is headed up by an MD, read csd and so they've got like turbocharged pods Mm, so actually it really does give you career progression and also exposure to running your own mini business within a larger business because you've got to be really good at forecasting looking at the numbers projections etc Somebody I was talking to on Friday about this, a very senior lady who I worked with for a number of years, who was taking on a role like this, said, ah, it's like an MD light job. Great point. But with the infrastructure around you to support you. So actually, hopefully a few light bulbs are going off in the heads of some people listening who might be in that position. Maybe they are CSD already. Maybe they are, you know, wanting to follow that career path. So Great point. Just to rewind a sec, I think there's an important point you were sort of asking about when the pod journey has failed and when there's problems with it. And that usually happens when the team isn't properly consulted because everyone's fearful of change, aren't they? People don't like change. So we advocate that people are properly consulted and it's done in a timely manner. We would say, you know, six to eight months, don't rush in and try and do it next week. That's really good advice as well, actually. And it goes for probably a lot of things that we do in agencies. You know, even with recruitment, I know we're going off tangent a little bit, but even with recruiting a new person into the team, it inevitably puts 
not a cat amongst the pigeons, that's probably too negative, but other people are affected by any new team member joining. So why wouldn't you make them part of the recruitment process, i.e. third stage, second stage, meet the team, and they feel that they've contributed to the decision? I couldn't agree more. And we haven't had this conversation before today, but I'm 100% agree with you. Great, great. It's lovely to talk to someone that we're on the same wavelength. <laughs> I don't really advocate that and, and sort of trying to not to get on my high horse. I mean, one of the dysfunctions of being in the middle of a talent crisis, for want of a better word, is that when people find what they think are good staff, they want to suck them up straight away before they get counter-offered. And so people are rushing into stuff. And it's worth remembering that sort of age-old adage of fire fast and hire slowly. And I'm a massive believer in sort of multi-point hiring. So, you know, some aptitude testing, hiring based on values. But to your point, making sure that multiple stakeholders are involved in that process. But at the moment, that urgency, the tyranny of the urgency is making people make slightly substandard decisions. I can see why it's happening, as you say, because of the climate of the day, but also you want to hold on to the people you've already got and value them. So you're kind of making a decision here, but possibly losing someone here. Anyway, we digress. I would love, Danny, given that you've got such a wealth of experience in account management, to kind of share your experience, first of all, of working in account management. It was 20 years ago when I stopped, but no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, I've talked about it already, but it was all that I ever wanted to do, well, working in an agency rather than being an account manager. But because I didn't do English or a fine art degree, I couldn't go down the creative route. But believe you me, for many years, I was a frustrated copywriter and I used to drive my colleagues insane trying to get my lines in ads, but they just were always refused out of principle. So I worked up through that very hierarchical route that you talked about before, trainee, junior, AE, yada, 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 all the way through to TSD and then to MD. And as well as being hierarchically structured, agencies were, and I know that you and I have talked about this when we met in person, they were quite brutal places. And that's not something that I'm in any way, shape or form celebrating now. You know, I've seen chairs, ashtrays thrown i was locked in for they were called ecds and they were just called cds i was locked in the office of a famous cd a chap who wrote the hail and pace chicken clarets ads and i think it's probably justified but it certainly wouldn't be allowed today and you know i think there's a danger in looking at back of that excess with sentimentality and saying it was a product of its time but hey i'm delighted none of it be tolerated today i do think that there is still in agencies particularly the larger ones, a sort of echo of that interdepartmental war in the agencies fostered in those days. And they did, you know, they actively encouraged it. I mean, remember when I was at BGL, you know, they used to talk about it in the staff handbook. And my boss or CEO at Gyro is a chap called Chris Becker. He described it as the apartheid of disciplines, which I think is it's quite strong language, but I, I kind of know what he means. And, you know, back in the 90s, we were described as suits, weren't we? So we had to wear a suit every day, except for Friday when you got to take your tie off. Or bag carriers, as it was our job to carry that black bag with the phone call uh, concepts to sell to the client. And woe betide if you failed to sell it, or even worse, allowed the client to change it. That's when you get locked in somebody's office and ashtrays thrown at you. And I just say I remember that well. I've had briefs thrown, strewn across back to me go back and write that again. That's rubbish and humiliation. I just wanted to add to your, because maybe people, I mean, does it exist today? I don't know, but oh my God. Different ways, but it was, it was explicit then, wasn't it? It was, it just seemed it was. And they'd held all the power. And also Danny, I mean, to, to your point about 
our job was to sell, okay? And selling was part of the account management role. And I don't know at what point over the last 20, 30 years, the word sales, I still don't use the word sales, even though effectively that's what I help people do is to grow an account to sell. But we don't use the word selling much, do we? Because you those great ideas sold themselves, didn't they, Jenny? You just had to go along and hold them up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It's easy to look back at it with, with sentimental eyes and, and laugh about it. And I guess that's all you can do. But you know, I remember my boss at the time, the chap with the Lantier Dedra and the 200 Marble Lights, he said, just, you know, just let the, all the bullying roll off your back. He said, you'll go on and achieve far more and earn far more than these guys will. And it's not very nice when you say that now, but it kind of helped a little bit at the time thinking I'm on a career trajectory and, and I will get through this. But, you know, apart from, it sounds like a counselling session, this. So apart from the sort of toxic culture, the bullying, the sexism, the lack of diversity. <laughs> the lack of diversity, the yeah, inappropriateness, smoking in the oven, carry on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the other big thing that agencies had and, and, and still have I think is presenteeism and that feeds some of those other things and you know I, I was interested in what you were saying before about sort of you know not having kids and you know sacrificing your career I, I did exactly the same thing I'm an old dad I didn't sort of have kids till I was in my 40s but you know the work ethic and that presenteeism in, in agencies was for me it was kind of my superpower because I'm from a really northern working class family so it worked for me and I worked late every night I worked every single Sunday and it drives my colleagues mad because I still do now but I time my emails so they get them on Monday now and when I was at BJL in the late 90s I remember we worked eight solid weekends on the bounce eight um but anyway I think that hard work isn't just measured in hours you know I disciplined myself to read every week all of the trade press and they were print issues so reading campaign and marketing week and then reading all my clients vertical press so packaging press and commercial vehicles and as we talked about before, invested in my MBA and other training on top of that. Outside of that, I made sure that I was friends with all of my clients. I went to their weddings, I went to their birthdays. I learned to play golf when everyone played golf. And, and you know, looking back, like you, I lived for my career, but you know, I loved it and I don't kind of regret any of it, apart from the ashtray incident. <laughs> <laughs> and I would love to hear from you because obviously a lot of this, Danny, for you came naturally. I mean, I would say that I come from a working class family in the South. You know, you came from one in the North and we've obviously got a very, I don't know, strong work ethic, but you obviously enjoyed it. I clearly did too. We got a lot of fulfillment out of our careers. But what would you say to an account manager listening were kind of the key success factors in account management? You've mentioned a few, you know, getting to know the clients, doing a lot of research and reading around the client's industry, your industry, and being prepared. What else is important for you? I think, do you know what? I honestly think we've covered all of it in the round already, but to summarise, it's a work ethic and that isn't a sort of hostile culture of need to work every minute of the day, but, you know, work smart rather than hard, be focused, invest in your personal development, know your business. Sometimes I think agencies get a bit confused by thinking that they should know more about the client's business than the client, and that isn't the case, and they never will. Remember what they're hiring you for. Get close to your clients, whether that's socially or professionally. I don't mean to blur any boundaries there. And if I haven't said it already, I'll say it again because it's worth saying twice. Hard work, be relentless. Mm. Would you say that with remote working now, kind of more of a thing than it ever, do you think, have you observed from working with agencies that account managers are finding it less easy 
let's say, to develop those client relationships? It's a good point. It's a really good point. I give all of my consultancy virtually because Mark and I are paired together. I'm in, you can't tell by my dulcet northern tones, I'm in south of Manchester. Mark is in Edinburgh. And so it's not feasible for us to consult face-to-face. Pete and Spencer do a lot of face-to-face consultancy. So I'm used to personally building relationships with people online. And when I meet people, like when I met you for the first time, it wasn't like weird or different. It was just the same. I've got, I've got some clients I met at Pods last week and it wasn't like, wow, I finally met you. It's just, I'm just used to it. But that said, I do feel quite strongly, and I think it's perhaps changing now. I noticed Havis this week have gone back to two set days in the office a week. Mark and I have got a couple of clients who are moving from two to three days. I think we'll approach something that's more a new norm over the next six months. You've got to bear in mind that in January, we were still under work from home. But I think it's easy for people at my stage in their career with their lovely office with this nice drinks cabinet in there, Sky TV, you know, high-speed broadband to say how great it is working from home. But I think you've got to consider people who might not have that space. They might not have the internet connectivity. They might have young families about. But I think even more important than that, if you think about how you learn your job, when I learned my job, it was through what I call micro-coaching, little micro-moments that happen over discussions or in a taxi or I think that's all those amazing Rob Mayhew sketches. They're just sort of parodies of little micro-learning moments. That's how you learn. And my worry, and there's not much we can do about it now because we've done, but a lot of people lost those. And that's why I'm quite pleased that we are, in general, coming back closer to a, a more normal working week. Mm, I think I agree. If there was any kind of downside, I think what I'm hearing from the agencies I work with are that, and not all, I have to say, but the more junior staff, particularly that are joining agencies, aren't benefiting from the micro coaching moments that they're listening to their more senior and experienced peers having a conversation with a client, for example, or, you know, those moments. So I agree. I'm probably putting you on the spot a little bit, Danny, but given that we are now going back to some kind of normal situation, albeit hybrid, I know, fingers crossed, are you hearing any examples from your agency clients who have done any initiatives in terms of furthering their client relationships or strengthening their client relationships can you think of any examples where an agency owner has shared what's worked for them in terms of strengthening and securing those relationships no but what we have been doing so mark and i involved a lot in budget setting and we're involved in so the whole agency on which pieces around adding commercial governance to agencies a sector that's not normally driven by such things And so we're looking at agency budgets and financial performance on a daily basis. And what we're seeing over the, what we've been seeing over the last six months is a huge absence of travel and client entertaining lines in budgets and people's P&Ls. And we're putting them back in there. And so, I mean, that's coming our way rather than the other way. And I think, in fact, I'm pretty sure that you'll be an advocate of these as well. You probably call them something different, but I always work with client action plans so i always ask all of my clients to i don't know 10 clients or top five or 10 or 20 to sit down and create an action plan for that client and part of that process as we move back towards a more normal world is how are you going to you know build relationships with your clients so i haven't got specific examples of they took them to the bowling or whatever but i think as a principle it's something that we are encouraging agencies to 
remember to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. What a great idea. And I think I like what you've shared about having a collective effort in the client action plan, because it is, it's about getting all the relevant people from the agency around the table and saying, look, let's talk about this specific client relationship. Where are we at? Where are the strong relationships that we have? Who are the individuals involved? Because like you said, not everybody wants to go for golf. Not everybody wants to go out for a meal. Some clients would prefer to stay in their homes and have the meeting remotely. So it's our job, isn't it, to find that out and to get to know the clients in order to assess that so that we can make those plans. So I love that. And hopefully that's put a top of mind for everybody. Can you share anything that you've seen in terms of tips for high performing account management teams, you know, whether it be individuals or teams doing stuff differently? Because obviously you've mentioned one, those that are doing action plans and you're putting those line items back in for some kind of budget behind it, which is lovely. And the pods, of course. So, you know, going back a little bit over some of the previous conversations that we had, but when I was young, that hierarchical career progression assumed that he started out as a coordinator. So you were a hardworking organiser, you were, I guess, a Belbin completer finisher. So I'm used to having lists and spreadsheets. I think you joked about it before we started this call, and I still do. But, you know, this is for Mark Bobert's benefit. That's my remarkable too. I'll make all my lists on, but there's, you know, there's far more modern tools that you can use to do that now. And I think as you progress, you're expected to grow your skills, presentation, negotiation, commercial acumen, which is why I did uh, things like my MBA. But I think it's increasingly acknowledged that those skill sets and personality types are, are really quite different. And that's why, as I said before, when we work with our clients, we put in place pod systems with dedicated, classically trained PMs alongside ADs. I think, you know, hand in glove with that, Flatter organisations are seeing a change in management or leadership style, and that's characterised by better, more regular, more authentic communication. Something else that Mark and I, without exception, hold our clients to account to do, to communicate their performance, their financial performance to their business, whether that's on a weekly or a bi-weekly or a monthly basis. And I'm pleased as I transitioned my own approach to management many years ago to a coaching style. I've taken some coaching qualifications I'm a huge advocate. I think that everyone in organisation should be seen as a leader and a coach. And if you want a really good introduction to this, and if anyone listening is an AIA, that's the Association of Independent Agencies member, they run some sessions called Green Jam. And there's one that was done by Rebecca, who's the COO of Kyan, who happens to be a, a Cactus client. She did a fantastic session on that. And I've got a couple of clients who trained all of their staff in terms of giving them coaching skills. Love that coaching skills. I think it should be mandatory for everybody. I really do. One of the things that I like what you said just now is making sure that the agency leaders are communicating with their teams about performance, about updates. Because do you know what, Danny, what I hear is the account managers telling me that they're not being communicated with. You know, I'm working too hard, Jenny. I'm working flat out. I'm working late nights. And I say, well, so, you know, the recruitment plan. Oh, yeah, they're trying to advertise for two roles. So how far are they through? I've got no idea. You know, your team need reassurance that it's not going to be like this forever. You know, I know that we're a bit short staffed right now. We're trying to hire. But just to keep you updated, just communicate on a regular basis. Because I think something so simple is often overlooked. Do you agree? I totally agree. And you could argue that a move back to more regular office-based working would help that. I mean, I'm, again, I've told you I'm an insomniac. I'm also a glossophobe, which means I hate presenting. But anyone listening who used to work with me will back me up. I've done a 
124 and I was counting all staff meetings. I did. <laughs> last one I did was in Cheadle in February 2020. There's like 93 staff. And so I think it's really important, even if you don't like presenting, to stand up on a monthly basis and update your team on performance. I know Spencer did it. He's much better at public speaking than I am. And in fact, he thrives on it. He did it weekly. I think weekly is perhaps a bit too much, but does that answer your question? It does. I think you're right. Some people find it more comfortable, but I think it's mandatory, like you said, regardless of whether you're good or bad or you like it or you don't, just you need to do it. Danny, can I ask you about the agency landscape in the future? Like, how can you see for our listeners, you know, things are going to be changing? Yeah, I mean, that's a really big question. (laughs) I know, I'm putting you on the spot, by the way. (laughs) So we have a series of mastermind products. We've got eight of them up and running and soon to be nine. And Spencer and Pete run some and Mark and I run some. And we talk about the seven big forces that have been at play in agencies over the last decade and how they've all been turbocharged by the pandemic. And nearly all of them are positive in their outcomes. But you know, something that I feel really passionate about is that we've created a talent drought and it's meant that employers' key focus has had to shift from new business to staff retention, acquisition and motivation. You were just talking about that a moment ago, which is great. But you know what? We're people business. People have always made up 60, 65, maybe even 70% of our costs that people are our multiplier effect. And I think it's a real shame that it took a swing in demand back towards our labour to supply to make agencies act on this. And it will swing back the other way, I guarantee it. And I think we'll start to see it swinging back the other way fairly soon. But I would counsel agencies to not alter that focus. Why do you think it's going to swing the other way? Because there's heat coming out of the market, because we've got double-digit inflation, because everybody's determined to talk themselves into a downturn. You turn on the news and it's the headline news with Ukraine that replaced pandemic and because people in our sector are, are talking it up as well. It's all in the press, isn't it? And it's all looking a little bit cloudy. What's your view? Any predictions? Yeah. Oh, crikey. Um, well, I did my undergraduate degree in economics in the late 80s, so I'm not going to indulge in amateur economics or or, or call clairvoyancy for you. I think that it was inevitable that we'd see a slowdown. We've seen sort of fiscal dumping. We've seen money printing that we've not seen in our lifetimes or our parents' lifetimes, and there was always going to be a price to pay for that. I think, and this is only my own personal view, not shared by everybody, I think that we still have the luxury of undersupply in the UK agency space. And I also think, I mean, if you think about the IPA Bellwether report, now that was last published in April, and that's forecasting marketers, predictions of marketing expenditure growth for the remainder of this year, of which we're only in June, to be their highest level since 2014. So, you know, the smart marketers have always marketed the way through recessions. I can, yeah, I agree with that. And so, you know, I I don't like this wild swinging from one thing to another. And I think as agency leaders or industry leaders and influencers, we have a, a responsibility to be more measured in our views of how the industry may unfold over the coming months. What would your advice be to an agency owner that maybe is listening and thinking, I need to make sure that I'm keeping on top of what's happening out there? And I would say what we're saying to all of our clients, which is it's almost the corollary of what I was saying about the talent piece. You know, why did it take a talent crisis to get agencies to focus on their staff? Yeah, the same applies to new business. Don't let a slowdown be what makes you focus on marketing. You should be doing it all the time. It should be always on. So don't create a Kondratiev cycle, see? 
amateur economist there. Don't create a congrative cycle of boom bust, but I'm not going to do new business. I am going to have it always on. So double down on your marketing and do what you tell the clients to do. You know, I've just said smart marketers, people are quoted in that bellwether report will market their way through a downturn and agencies should do the same. Great advice. Thank you. And how can people plug into your knowledge, Dali? Because you clearly are at the kind of cutting edge of what's happening in agencies. You're working with so many that you're seeing patterns and best practices. How can people tap into your knowledge? Well, here comes the next commercial break. They can buy our book. <laughs> I've heard such good things about this. You know what? I was about to say our book. I, I didn't write it. I wrote the sort of 40 word intro along with Mark. <laughs> Buy the book. And it's not just useful for agency leaders. If people are wanting to progress their agencies, I think it's essential, particularly within, within client services, to understand agency commercials, but also join our community. Again, that might not connect with everybody on the call because it's only open to agency leaders, but listen to our podcasts and, and broadcasts. Yeah, there's lots of valuable information that Cactus, the Cactus team put out. And as you say, the book, I mean, I've read the book. I love the book. I recommend it. And so many people that have read it, particularly, you know, someone who either aspires to run their own agency, is interested in how an agency runs or is scaling their agency and just want, you know, growth. There's so much value in that book. It's so full of like detailed tips and strategies and tools and things that have worked and are working. So absolutely, I will definitely put a link in the show notes. And Danny, I just want to say a huge thank you, first of all, for joining me on the podcast. You've been brilliant. And if people want to work with you, who do you want to be contacted by and what's the best way that they can reach you? Uh, Yeah, so we're targeted exclusively on the independent space, so independent agencies, and we're targeted almost exclusively, although we have got some products and services that are targeted at non-agency owners and founders, but our, our core offering is targeted at agency owners and founders. And how to contact us via the website or via my email. Do I read that out loud or will you pop it in some comments? Somewhere? I will put it in the show notes, but it's cactus, but it's C-A-C-T dot U-S. It, 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 I, I was looking at upper of the screen and I realised I hadn't got it open. So well, well, remember, well, well remembered it is, yes. <laughs> and you can go onto YouTube and look at the Agency Phonics podcast. Any podcast player has Agency Phonics as well. And there's so many podcast episodes with agency owners all talking about their story, sharing tips and strategies for growth and also sharing challenges. So, yeah, another fantastic resource. Danny, thank you so much. Is there any parting words of advice that you would give, particularly to an aspiring account manager that's on that career fast track? Enjoy it. Because if you don't enjoy something, don't do it. A dreadful cliche, but, you know, the old find a job that you love and you never have to work again. You've got to enjoy it. And that's why I chose agencies and that's why I'm still in them, because they're supposed to be fun. And I remember the, the chap with the Lancia Dedra and the 200 Marble Lights. He said, your clients have got to enjoy dealing with you. It's got to be fun. You've got to have fun with them because they're not having fun in the other things that they're doing. Do you know what? That is your <laughs> mic drop moment right there. Just enjoy it. And if you're not, get out. I love that. We're going to finish on that because I don't think it's going to get much better than that. Danny, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed my chat with Danny and all the links to the resources that he mentions are in the show notes. And if you're an agency owner and you haven't joined the free 
agency owner, agency nomics community, or read the book, then go over to agencynomics.com and you can find out a lot more about that. And if you'd like to chat to me about agency account management training, please go over to my website, accountmanagementseals.com. And you can find details of my next training program, which is called Account Accelerator, and it starts in September. So that's accountmanagementskills.com. I look forward to seeing you on the next one.